Howdy gamers, it's Leighton here from Leighton Night, the podcast that you're currently listening to in case you accidentally stumbled upon this, in which case I am sorry, but just wanted to let you know that there is a video version of this episode that is up on our Patreon for all tiers. So if you want to join us over there, depending on the tier, you can get all sorts of cool benefits. We do mini-sodes every week. We do some fun videos. Uh, you get access to our fan discord and overall it's a really lovely time and we would love to have you there. So without any further ado, here is the audio version of this episode. So if you want to do the video version, you can go to patreon.com slash late night or not it's really whatever floats your boat anyway episode So we're going to talk Patreon for a minute here because we all have Patreons. But for those of you who are watching this on the Patreon and you can see the room Johnny's in, this is a special room for me because this is the old Jim Roach studio where like the last several NSP albums were written, like literally right in this space that you're looking into right now with Johnny. So what? I've spent many hours writing and recording in this space. So what's the deal? You like sublet it from Jim or something? Yeah. So we did that one session in Nashville. That's where I got to know him a little bit better. And uh, I was just asking him because I was looking for a space like, hey, what happened to your old studio now that you live in Nashville? And then, yeah, a few days later, he actually called me and said, you know, he didn't want to lose it completely. And so he's letting me sublet it, which is awesome. Yeah. It's been awesome. But anyway, we were talking Patreon. So if you're watching the Patreon, you can see this amazing studio. So John, you were about to tell us something about Patreon. Yeah, I just started doing a couple new things. There's a few new things I'm about to start that's kind of pending. Basically, there's this new idea I had, Wheel or More Wheel, which is the dumbest name of all time, and I really uh, like it. But uh, Wheel or More Wheel? Yes, and uh-huh. I've gotten the Patreon involved by letting them choose a subgenre and giving me a lyric. Like, they make one up, and I put it on the spinny wheel, which you can kind of see in the other room. Oh, yep, there's the wheel. Uh-huh. And the idea is I'll spin it, and I'll get a genre, and I'll get a lyric, and then also five-year increments, decades from 1950 all the way to now— And the possibility is that I might get like pop punk in the year 1965. And like one of the lyrics I got, for example, was I like truck. Uh, My girlfriend's a truck. Uh (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, the idea is just to make like themed videos, creating songs with these things. That was a new thing. And also one that I'm excited about is for the breakdown videos where I kind of talk down the making of the songs and stuff. I've started doing this thing at the end, just a top-down view of the piano where I'll play through the entire song. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, and if you go to the Patreon, because those videos are public, but if you go to the Patreon, I am now uploading completely through composed sheet music for piano. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, which it is not actually as tedious as I expected it to be. I'm pretty quick at it in finale now, so. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Let's really get into this music stuff right off the bat. And I want to get into something so specific that it will alienate basically everybody listening. (laughs) Perfect. Fabulous. Which is Finale versus Sibelius. (laughs) So, Layden, do you even know what I'm talking about? No, this sounds like it's going to be one of the delightful moments in which I am completely removed from this and I get to be the little audience stand-in. So, what are both of those things that you just said? Well, they are both notation software. 
So I grew up working in Finale. When I was in college, I wrote everything I wrote on Finale. So I got used to that interface, like really loved it. I don't think I have it anymore. For a while, I had a stack of three and a half inch floppies with everything I had written score-wise on it. This is now completely unreasonable, and I think I had thrown them out anyway. But when I started doing more notation stuff again, which was like, you know, whatever, 15 years later, a composer friend was like, no, dude, you got to work in Sibelius, which is another program. And I've been fucking wrestling with this thing ever since. And every time I use it, it feels like pulling teeth. I can't get into the vibe. And I don't know if that's just me. I don't know if that's a thing, but I'm curious, Johnny, what your take is on this. You know, with most like softwares or DAWs or different things, like whether it's like video editing or music production, it's easy to see why the different crowds use it. But like with Sibelius and Finale, I don't know what the demographic is that separates the two. Because I've seen people that I went to college with use both and like marching directors use both. So I don't know where the split happens. I don't either. This really is a polarizing topic for the two (laughs) people that know what we're talking about. This kind of stuff is fascinating to me because it's very much like anything that changes one's workflow, I'm always very interested in because usually it goes badly. You're used to your specific software that you get it and you use it and you try to do something else and it completely fucks you up. Every once in a while, you switch and you're like, oh my God, I should have done this five years ago. Why didn't I know about this? That was Final Cut to Premiere. That was Studio One to Pro Tools. And the thing about Sibelius and Finale, though, and why I really don't think it matters at all is because the language of XML and MIDI is transferable from any program to any program. Mm -hmm. I can do something in Finale, send you the files in MIDI, and you can open it, and it will be fine. That's right. So, like, really, meh. You do what you want. It doesn't matter. Pro Tools, that was a whole problem, for example, where like if someone's working in like Logic or Studio One or Cubase or Reason oh, or whatever, dude. now they got to stem it out and it's a nightmare. So I work in Logic. Almost everyone else I know works in Ableton that I collaborate with regularly. Hey, and Ableton. it's just like two trains <laughs> passing in the night. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the equivalent of putting something into Google Translate and hoping you don't lose anything, but you're just going to. Yeah, it's Mandarin to English. That's right. Yeah. And so then if you're the one trying to turn Mandarin to English, you have to learn how to like speak English and Mandarin. And that just mm-hmm. makes my job hard. That's why I have to be able to use Logic and Studio One and Pro Tools. It's yeah. stupid. But if you're using Sibelius, I can still use Finale and we can be friends and stuff. Yeah, (laughs) it's not like entering the notes. That's the easy part. It's all the fine tuning when you're trying to make a score look really dope. Like that's the thing that's hard to me in Sibelius is like really making it look awesome, you know, in that last 15% of the work or whatever it is. I'm having the same issue because I just got Guitar Pro, which is a tablature software. Oh. Because people have been wanting tabs, which I don't do. <laughs> but yeah, I've been having to learn <laughs> oh. how to do that and make it look good. Somebody bought the sheet music recently, and I wasn't specific enough in the description. And they were like, where's the tab? And I was like, tab isn't sheet music. It's different. <laughs> I think you and I might have even talked about this once. Guitar tabs drive me insane. Now, I don't play guitar. I don't know how to play guitar. However, every time I look at a guitar tab, it looks wrong. Like, I feel like they're just constantly fucked up. By the way, this is especially bad if you're looking at shit online because people who put this stuff online generally seem to not understand music theory. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really dragging everybody today. You really are. You came in hot. I came in hot. Look, I'm ready. Fuck Sibelius, fuck Tab. Yeah, <laughs> fuck guitarists, of course. But if you look at, you know, tabs online, chords online, 
first of all, the key is wrong half the time for whatever reason. Yeah. Second of all, no, the bass note matters, people. Like, there's a difference between an A major and an F sharp minor seven. It matters here. And a lot of the time, those guitar tabs just completely ignore the bass note and get the theory wrong to such a degree that to anyone with any knowledge or an ear, like you play it and you're like, what? No, it's not that at it just all. It fundamentally changes the song. <laughs> fundamentally. That's right. And so my question is always for people who are putting these tabs online, first of all, they're like doing a favor for people. So I really should not be like <laughs> shitting on them. This is a nice thing to do is to figure out the chords of a song and then put it online for but free. But you're giving someone the answers to a test and they're wrong. That's right. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're giving someone the answers to a test, that a test they might perform with their band and it's just wrong. And then it becomes the question of like, can you not hear that this is wrong? Obviously, most people probably don't know music theory, so maybe it's that. But it just sounds so wrong that I'm curious what that process is of saying, yep, yeah, this is correct. I'm going to put it out there. Brian, question. Yes. Have you ever found NSP tabs online where looking at them, oh, you were like, you know. oh, fuck no. 100%. <laughs> okay. You know how I work. Like I will occasionally forget how to play a song I wrote and I will look it up online just because it's a little faster sometimes than figuring it out again. You know, NSP songs, it's not that complicated. Like most of the time, they're totally, totally fine. But every once in a while, especially for some of the jazzier stuff that has like, you know, extended harmonies, it's just like, oh, that's not what's going on there. What songs would you point out as the jazzier stuff? Oh, Jazzy. Okay. I I really mean harmonically, not stylistically. I have to look. I forgot sure. every song I've ever written. You played one here the last time you were here that had some interesting turnarounds. Danny Don't You Know has, I wouldn't really call that complicated. That's what you were playing. You're playing Danny Don't You Know. Oh, the chorus has a couple, uh, I mean, it's like an alternate bass note or something like that. It's really not that involved. Maybe a little bit, Welcome to My Parents' House, but only because it has like ninths in it, which is not really that much, but it's the kind of thing that maybe might consider slightly jazzier. Most of it is pretty boneheaded rock stuff. <laughs> okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to introduce the show and our guest so we can really get into more music talk. Obviously, this is pretty much what it's going to be. If people aren't interested in hearing music talk, they should just shut this off right now. <laughs> Everybody, this is Late Night with Brian Wecht. Over here, we have Leighton Gray. Oh, that's me. The one who just spoke was... Doctor Brian Wecht, <laughs> music. You, did you Brian did you Wecht. see and hear me visibly have to skip over a Mister because that's what was happening for me? <laughs> I figured there was a different epithet in front of the Doctor that you were <laughs> skipping, and it wasn't a Mister. It was like the Right Honorable Doctor Brian Wecht. Certainly, yes, yes. Anyway, Brian Wecht, whatever honorific you want to give him, he deserves, uh, especially if Thank it's you. negative. Mystery yes, guest. Right. What's your name? Who are you? And what do you do? And how are you? That was too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one to answer first. Uh, I am good. I'm decent. I have a tooth, which I guess, listeners, I didn't. And my name is Johnny Manchild. Bachelor Johnny Manchild. That's all I got in college. <laughs> I am a musician, performer, recording engineer, composer, title maker. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you have a band. Would you tell us the name of that band? I have a band, Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards. I write music and record it and give it to people to listen. Wonderful. You scored a 10 out of 10 on my random questions, so great. Awesome. 
So we met for the first time at the album release. Is that right? Mm-hmm. For Ace of Hearts, yes. Yes. So Alpha Rad put out an album several months ago. When was that? Six, seven months ago. Like late November, early December. Yep. And your involvement with that album was what? I helped arrange and write the music for it. I did all the like production engineering on the record. I played a lot of the guitar and piano on the record. Yeah, so a big part of that album. And I thought it was just gonna be like an album release party. I did not realize when I walked into that thing in Hollywood that essentially the whole album had been made into a music video. And it was like this long, continuous kind of thing, right? It was a huge Beyonce move, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it was, a huge Beyonce move. Did I say Beyonce? Beyonce. Wow. Beyonce. I did see Beyonce, <laughs> didn't I? Beyonce move. And we met there because you were a big part of the album. And then, you know, you were just about to, I think, move out here at that point, right? Mm-hmm. I was less than a month from moving, yeah. From? Uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Oh. Oklahoma City. Now, you told me something very interesting about Oklahoma City that I'm still kind of wrapping my head around, which is, so I played you some of the smooth jazz stuff and some that I've been working on, as well as some of this Donnie Benet. It's like this Australian guy who does like very 80s, you know, kind of disco-y sort of things. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you told me that that style of music is dominating Oklahoma City. (laughs) We were talking about the kind of chill wave indie pop thing, super 80s oriented, super retrofit, but with kind of modern production, all that thing. Like there's bands like Swim Fan and then even licensing projects like Chair Model kind of took that on. And you've got Josh Fudge who's blowing up right now. He just did a tour with Bastille coming out of Oklahoma City. Right now, I would say in the realm of like what the producers and engineers that I'm aware of are working on and what is reaching the furthest from Oklahoma City, it would be that. That style. Amazing. The cool thing about it, though, is you've got a lot of jazz players. Logan Brunn, I think he's a little bit younger than I am, and he's the guy that's kind of playing and arranging for Josh Fudge, who is literally 19 years old, going around touring around the country. But he, for example, has really great like jazz and neo-soul facilities, which he puts into this genre. And like you wouldn't know. It's the same thing as like Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson situation. Sure. Like there is a million and one things that don't make its way into the music, but they inform everything else. Quincy Jones, you know, of course he cut his teeth arranging for Basie and, mm-hmm. you know, all these like doing big band charts in the fifties and sixties. Right. And now he's producing, not now, but then, you know, moves on to producing like disco and soul and this kind of very poppy sort of stuff, yeah. He he started with It's My Party, I'll Cry If I Want To. I can't remember who that is. Yeah, it's Le- Leslie, Leslie Gore. Leslie Gore, that's it, yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's stuff happening in Oklahoma City, and especially since this quarantine COVID situation, a lot of people moved out of the biggest cities to Oklahoma. Last time I was there, actually, this two-week stint last month, that's the first time that going out to a bar or going out to places or venues that I know, it wasn't a thing where like, oh, I don't know everybody here. I don't even recognize the type of person that I am seeing (laughs) in Oklahoma City. What does that, wait, what does that mean, the type of person? Here's what that means. Oklahoma City is relatively small. Having been there for as long as I had been, you kind of know everybody. Not only did I not know them, but I'm seeing people who do not dress or look or talk or act anything like any type of person I have seen. Because Oklahoma City really isn't that 
big. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you've got this influx of people from other places, it's kind of noticeable. And whenever I went out last time, I was like, man, there's some very like flowy people coming in here. Like I don't, I've never dressed this nice. I don't know where they're getting their clothes. So they look too, they look too fancy. Kind of. Yeah. They were so hip, like ridiculously. So like they made me feel old. Like if I hang out with these people long enough, I feel like I will learn spells. (laughs) <laughs> and like, <laughs> I'll learn something about crystals that I didn't know before. But like, oh, yes. it's okay. a cool thing though, because I think that just means Oklahoma City is growing a bit. Yeah. These micro scenes in different cities, especially cities I don't know very well, are always interesting to me. Like, I never would have guessed if you said, you know, what's a really popular genre in Oklahoma City right now? It just would have picked some music genre, but it probably would not have been like chill wave 80s stuff, you know? People would probably think of Tulsa. The Nashville-Tulsa connection was so strong, especially with the Troubadours and John Fulbright, but that was 10 years ago, and now it's different. There's one thing I know for sure. I've gotten to go to different venues around Los Angeles, which that's a big area we're talking Mm -hmm. about, but like the Mints and the Echo and the Mm -hmm. even the Troubadour and all places like that kind of size, and I've seen a lot of not super great shows. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is just like they were – very obviously trying to hit a target that didn't really have anything to do with the music they were playing. You mean like a demographic target? No, I mean like their goal. It seemed like it was more aesthetic than anything else, which just, you know, it's kind of a bummer. And in Oklahoma though, like you go out to see a show, it's probably going to be awesome because like any night of the week, you can go to Pony Boy or Tower Theater or Beer City or 89th or wherever you're going and like the bands are going to be pretty good. But yeah, for whatever reason, there's just a lot of good talent in Oklahoma City right That's now. That's amazing. What else, like genre-wise, what else is going on there that you think is interesting? Well, I mean, my band started out of there, which is kind of telling, I think, of what a lot of people are, at least in my circles of music, into. There's a big jazz scene in Oklahoma, now largely mm-hmm. because of UCO, but also because of some of the high schools that are taking part in Oh, like big jazz program, high school Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes. And there's just good educators in Oklahoma as well. But yeah, I'd say there is a big brass thing. You've got Flock of Pigs are doing it. We did it. You've got, it's not ska either, Mm -hmm. but it's involvement of jazz influence. Like Cliff Diver is a band I'm a fan of. We're kind of friends with them. They opened for us at our album release show. And they are a Midwest emo and pop punk band Mm -hmm. with a killer saxophone player. That rules. I love that. It's sick. And that's what we're talking about. It's like, it's not jazz fusion in the way that you would think. It's like, it's very Oklahoma. Like we have taken these things and infused them with jazz because that's what's happening right now. I love that. I love it when you get a band with a weird instrument, a la Cake is probably the most famous example of this. We were like, what the fuck is this trumpet doing here? But we're just so glad to hear the trumpet. Yeah, like it's what makes Cake cool, you know? It's why there's it's a distinctive sound because you're not just going to hear a solo trumpet on a bunch of pop records. Or at least you weren't back then. Or like playing handsaw on, you know, a couple of Neutral Milk Hotel albums. Uh-huh. That weird warbly sound. What's your relationship laden to Neutral Milk Hotel? My very first concert was Neutral Milk Hotel on their final tour. Oh, fuck. I forgot that. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm a big Neutral Milk Hotel fan. Like, obviously, of course. I can't believe I'm not wearing my Neutral Milk Hotel shirt that I've had for like 10 years today. Big, big fan. Airplane Over the Sea is a classic. Great album. I think On Avery Island is like so underrated. 
It's Two-Headed Boy that gets me. I don't know what it is. I just love that song. That and King of Carrot Flowers Part 2. Oh, yeah. That is definitely my favorite album, is that one. It's so fucking good. It's crazy good. I think the song that got me into them was I was at a friend's place in high school and we were like... At a milk party. At a milk party. (laughs) And she played O'Comely. She was like, the song's crazy. It's about like coming on mountains. And I was like, all right, yeah, sure. (laughs) And so that started a lifelong love affair with that strange, strange man, Jeff Manga. (laughs) That's why they're so cool, I think, though, is because it's so incredibly obvious that he has never for one moment tried to do anything for anyone else. Like he was obviously just making what he wanted to make because that is not catering to fucking anyone. Anyone. Yeah. I mean, you know, the indie cred is off the charts, of course. But it was before that was a thing. That's right. That's That's why it's off the charts is because it sounds like shit and it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best fucking way to put it. It sounds like shit. That's awesome. (laughs) Layton, have you and I ever talked about jellyfish? No. You guys jellyfish fans? I don't know of that. Oh, you got to listen to Jelly. Talk (laughs) about another like, hey, I'm just doing my weird thing. Man, I think they only have two albums. Oh, yeah, there it is. Spilt Milk from 93. Well, I like any song that's called Babies Coming Back. Yeah, it's very (laughs) interesting stuff. Jim Roach is a big fan of this band, too. And they're one of those like, if you were around in the early 90s and listening to weird shit, you knew about these guys. I think it's mainly one dude, but I could be wrong about that. But I'm fascinated by these like, yeah, I'm just doing my weird... I look, my whole fucking career is built on I'm just doing this one weird thing that probably nobody's going to like because I feel like that is the best way to be. You know, this is something I want to do. It's for me. Hopefully someone likes it, but if not, I will just move on to the next thing that I feel like doing, which yeah. is, again, why I'm putting out a fucking smooth jazz album in 2022. Sounds like one of the members of Jellyfish went on to do the Moog cookbook. Really? Wait, the wait, the Moog cookbook must have been before oh, the yeah. classic Moog cookbook. I thought the Moog cookbook was from like the 70s. Or am I wrong about that? No, I'm pretty sure, um, as far as I know. Oh, it was a parody of and tribute to the novelty Moog records of the late 60s and 70s. I see. So it is. Yes, you're right. No, Moog cookbook was after. You were totally right. Interesting. Did I send either of you, I believe it's called Country Moog's Take Me Home. <laughs> album no hold on i gotta find this oh here it is no it's called just country moog nashville gold all right so we're gonna listen to one of these tracks everyone pull up track two Folsom prison blues (laughs) this album is from the 70s but i couldn't tell you when maybe the 80s all right is everybody ready to click play on Folsom prison blues indeed okay here we go three two one play Isn't this great? This is incredible. Anyway, okay. This goes on for a while. This whole album is worth it. And some of them... Oh, oh, sorry. Look at track 12 right now. Okay. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, ready? We're going to play this one. Three, two, one, play. (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why not? You know, Johnny... Some people look at the world as it is and say why. (laughs) And other people look at the world as it could be and say why not. At my funeral, when my casket is being lowered (laughs) into the grave, I want Yakety Moog to to pop off. (laughs) Can I show you guys a track? Of course. It just reminded me of something. Have you ever heard of the band? It's really a one-man band called That One Guy. 
No. No? Amazing. I'm so happy to hear you say that. Okay, so here's the deal with that one guy. Okay, is, I is. think he was from the late 90s, early 2000s, and kind of like grew on. He might not even be that old, but his whole deal is that he created his own instrument called the magic pipe out of like oh, a bunch of PVC yes. and stuff. And nice. so the, the little boingy like mouth harp Jaw harp, yep, that yep, sort of yeah, thing yeah. sounds like that. So if we could just listen to Butt Machine. And this is the- off the album, The Moon is Disgusting. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. We're listening to Butt Machine by that one guy. <laughs> Three, two, one, play. That's the pipe instrument, right? Oh, I can tell, yeah. This song is fucking hilarious. Is to this me. one instrument or this is like overdubbed? I've seen him play live and he's got it all attached. Wow. Yeah, this fucking rips. This is <laughs> know, <right>? unbelievable. <laughs> Butt machine. <laughs> Butt machine. So who is, do you know this person or you no, just know of him? No, I just know him. I can tell you why I know him too. And yes, it's, please. Uh, it's not like a cool or hip reason. It's because that song is how I got into him. And it was on the third or fourth season of the show, Weeds. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I had the Wikipedia page open, and that's the only <laughs> line that's like visible with the Spotify window over Oh, it. my God. Look at this instrument. Yeah, it's crazy. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I love this so much. And Ani DeFranco signed him to her label. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. I love people that just invent their own weird fucking instruments. Do you guys know Harry Parch? Do you know this mm-hmm. name? No. Have we talked about Harry Parch? We might have. I've been really interested in him for years. It's P-A-R-T-C-H. And he invented this thing he called the American Gamelan. We did talk about him, actually. Basically, he made these insane-looking musical instruments. There was one microtonal scale he was like obsessed with, this 43-note scale, that he frequently wrote in and he has a, what did he call it? A chromolodeon or something like that. Yeah. Chromolodeon. I got that right. But yeah, if you look up the Harry Parch instruments, they're like nuts. These are some fucking achievements of design. Devised a 43 note octave. Yep. They're real like Cronenberg-y kind of (laughs) some of them. Dude, I made a joke about Cronenberg during therapy yesterday. And of Mm. course my therapist addressed the thing that I said and then went, Who's Cronenberg? What? Uh, (laughs) The running joke with me is that my therapist has seen three movies and nothing else. And they're analyze this, analyze that, and Forrest (laughs) Gump. (laughs) But he just doesn't get, I was like, Jeff Goldblum, The Fly. And he was like, I don't know what that is. I am not seeing the new Cronenberg movie. I'm not fucking doing it. Why not? Fuck that. I saw the trailer and I was like, no. That's exactly my reaction. It would upset me too much. I know nothing about it, but I'm so excited to see it because I love Cronenberg. People walked out. Oh, hell yeah. People always say that like people walked out, but I would fucking walk out because that movie gave me anxiety just watching the trailer. Yeah, same. Dude, exactly the same. And I like love Cronenberg. Some of the shit I can't handle. I have to close my eyes through at least 20% of Tarantino movies. Oh, I don't have a problem with that, but it's just this type of body horror is too real. Yeah. You guys could not be giving me like a bigger like recommendation <laughs> than you are right now. And that's the thing about like, diehard Cronenberg fans is everyone's like, the Cannes audience walked out and everyone's like, fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Daddy crony, let's go. Like people want to see someone stick a pencil through their ear and just like, yes, that sounds great. What's the name for Cronenberg fans? There must be a stupid fandom name, right? Like Fannenbergs or something. Cronies. Cronies. That's Cronies. Right. Good. A plus. 
I texted a friend who like I go see horror movies with if he wanted to go see it with me and he was like, no, that's a level of gore I cannot handle. And then <laughs> mm-hmm. it left theaters, I guess. Oh, it's already out? Yeah, it's been out. Fine, I'll go hit up the twerp group chat and find people who want to watch it with me. <laughs> well, I understand it's a big megaplex release in Canada. It's their most popular movie. God, what the fuck is wrong with Canadians? (laughs) Have you guys seen Green Room? Yes. Again, I can't do it. That's a great movie, though. Uh, I'm aware. (laughs) That's an example of the type of gore that gets under my skin. It was too real. It's very medically accurate, as discussed on this show. There's there's a very floppy arm, and then they cut to an unpleasant (sighs) box cutter experience. Oh, God. I don't want to see that. (laughs) The one-two of it is pretty rough. No, thank you. I can't deal with almost any gore. If it's like, you know, Evil Dead type shit, that's fine. But if it's anything that's vaguely realistic, I am one million percent out. Yeah, uh, Green Room is that. And there's something about body horror when it's not accompanied with music at all. That is especially (laughs) bad. Yeah. And music has that like tension and release thing. Mm -hmm, But when there mm -hmm. is no music and it's just silence... It's just tension. Like, nothing gets rid yep. of it. Like, that last house on the left is a movie Oof. that does that. Horrible. Never watching it again movie. Like, not to say it's good or bad. It was just too hard to watch to even call it good or bad. And there was not a single ounce of music through the worst parts. And it makes it so much worse. Yeah. Michael Haneke, one of my favorite directors and also creator of just the most depressing and upsetting movies. No music. Mm-hmm. Like, barely any. He just makes you stew in it. And I love that. Coen Brothers did it on No Country for Old Men. Yes. And I remember mm-hmm. watching it. I was just like, this is such a good choice. Like, it just it changes the whole thing. Is that a Carter Burwell? Because he does a lot of their shit. I'm a huge fan of his. His Fargo score, I think, is just stunning. See, I doubt he even touched the movie. There was literally no music, like, at all. Oh, wow. Unless he's credited with just deciding not to do anything. <laughs> he is credited as the music for that, but I wonder what that means, yeah. <laughs> I haven't rewatched the movie since I read the book recently. I need to revisit because the book was great. It's Cormac McCarthy, is that right? Yep. When I was on my little Cormac McCarthy kick, I read Child of God, which A fucking plus, The Road, uh-huh. I hated because I can't hang with apocalypse shit. I just don't care. Uh-huh. And I got halfway through Blood Meridian, but man, that book is dense. I'm always looking up words with books, but that one just has so many words that straight up like are not in the dictionary. Or really, yeah, because it was really oh. like an intensely researched, and it's a lot of like I think very like localized and specific like Spanish terms. Blood Meridian, you said, yeah, or like archaic versions of words. So it's just like this is oh my god, like it's <laughs> incredible, but it is such a like you got to pick away at it. I tried to read once one of those, you know, the Patrick O'Brien, it's the master and commander, the naval books. And there's like 40 of them or something. It, Aubrey McLaurin is that it's the captain and the doctor. Paul Bettany was one of them in the movie. I think it was Paul Bettany and Russell Crowe when they made a movie out of it. I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about, Jenny? No, and I have to say how hilarious it is. You said that. <laughs> I was listening, and I was like, what the fuck? Because I mistook Patrick O'Brien for Richard O'Brien, the creator of Rocky Horror Picture Show. And oh. I was like, when the fuck did that happen? <laughs> yeah, different guy for sure. Cool. But these books are, let's just say... The book felt like it was 80% terms for things on a ship. (laughs) Like, 
very specific terms for like, we're going to raise this sail with this rope by going to this part of the ship. I mean, after a while, you're like, it might as well just be alien symbols. These are things on a ship. And that's the last time I felt like that reading a book where I was like, it's just too much jargon for the payoff here. I felt not the same thing, but a similar thing with like Anne Rice books as I used to read some of those. But if you've ever read one of those, it's kind of like the pen sat on the desk, plastic, black ink dripping from the narrow nozzle as it sat on the balsa wood, or maybe it was pine. This is the horniest thing that's ever happened on this show, by the way. What? <laughs> no, that is, this is a very drippy description of the pen. Perfect yeah. Anne Rice. It's just so fucking detailed for no reason. Like, it's too much. It's incredibly floral. Is it bad? No. No, it's not bad. It's just a lot. It's gothic vampire shit. So, of course, mm-hmm. she's very floral about it. Mm-hmm. That's a good word, floral. <laughs> yeah. Purple prose, one might call it. I haven't read fiction at all. Actually, I've got a book over here, which is my thing that I wanted to talk about. It's my thing that I picked. I've been reading a lot of nonfiction, a lot of memoirs, a lot of musical history type things. Questlove's new book is the one I'm reading right now, too. Oh, is it good? So far, yeah, it's really good. That guy rules. Questlove's fucking awesome. I mean, such an interesting choice to do the late night thing. He's on Fallon, is that right? Mm-hmm, the Roots, yeah. But I love it when my favorite musicians get a chance to just completely sell out and then take it and get an awesome payday. And he's still great on that show. They're just mm-hmm. doing like a very specific thing now with that band because Roots are an incredible band. And I'm thrilled for them that they get the opportunity to cash those checks. I'm not kidding. Like, I really mean that. No, I yeah. think he's paid his dues. <laughs> of course. No, no, no. Exactly. And also yeah. won a very unfairly overshadowed Academy Award. Like, really just terrible timing on that. Good for him. No, an incredible musician and thinker just in general. And I will always think of the Eric Andre episode with Questlove's in the house. Oh, I haven't seen that one. You're not in the house. You're nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your dad is here. <laughs> the selling out thing reminded me, I think this is a Guy Branham quote. He was like, you know, some people, they see like an older stage actor guesting on a sitcom and they're like, oh man, that person's kind of like washed up and uh, what a bummer to see some people would say what a bummer to see elaine stretch on 30 rock or something like that well <laughs> those people are idiots for sure <laughs> that is such a specific example that even though it's a hypothetical makes me want to flip a table <laughs> what if someone said what a bummer to see her on 30 rock yeah because she's no, fucking right. great on 30 rock she's, she's incredible inc- on 30 <laughs> no, rock. she's amazing she's the best at everything but especially in that but as Guy Branham pointed out, what that means is this is a journeyman for performer who is finally getting a chance to like fucking cash in and get some easy money for probably not too demanding a role. And when you see this, you should be thrilled. You shouldn't be upset that your performer sold out or whatever. It's that they can do a walk on. They have a five minute part, like let them cash the check and be proud of them, you know? Yeah. Which I think yeah. is very true. If you want to support them, like, be happy they're getting their bag, for the love of God. Yeah, you can be critical on that whenever you tell me where musicians can sign up for good health insurance. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, this is something, too. I, I feel like this is a major generational shift between what I 
was growing up when I was basically your guys' age and now, you know, I remember being in my 20s and there was that very much fuck you sellout <laughs> kind of vibe. And now it feels like it's much more of a hell yeah, cash that check. That's awesome that you got the money. And I think the shift in this was sometime in the 90s when people started like on purpose doing more commercial stuff in order to cash checks. And then people realized, oh, actually, no, they're making money. That's fine. So I was born in 95, which means like I was just old enough for all the stuff that happened in like the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And I think like just growing up through that and then like the 2008 housing crash, this recession that never actually ended at all probably. And now we're Mm -hmm. really facing like anybody my age understands that we're not really in a place where we can afford to not Sure. Except get that bag. <laughs> that, get the bag. Because everybody knows like you're not trading creativity or like art or passion for money. Like this is a whole topic here. Actually, it was at VidCon. We were talking with the partner of the woman who runs How to ADHD. And he's also into like psychology and all this stuff. And we were talking about whatever your passion is, anything that you're good at, you feel this need to turn it into something that can be monetized because right. that's just what you have to do. And so, like, people don't have hobbies the same way they used to. That's 100% correct. Yeah, people pick up a hobby and now monetize it because, fuck, you need to make money. Like, And if you are a public figure, if you mention, you know, hey, I'm cooking or whatever, people will be like, put out a video, put out a Seriously. video of you cooking, which comes from a nice place, of course. It's like, hey, here's a person I like. I want to see them doing more stuff. But the point is that there is this intense pressure for basically anything you reveal about yourself Someone who knows you will then say, I want to see that basically commodified and put out into the world. So it's not just economic pressure to do it. It's also if you have a fan base, because fans are so invested in the personalities and things about you, they want more ins into your your life. I have liked times in the past where I've streamed and I enjoy doing it, but I enjoy being able to do something that I like in peace and silence yes. more, I think. So in the past, I might have streamed like, here's me taking apart my keyboard and like putting things back on. And here's the deal. Or here's me making a Gundam. Or here's me playing a video game I like. And it's like, I would enjoy this so much more if I did not have to make yes. this marketable <laughs> as I do it. So I'm not going to stream. Like yeah. it's a completely different itch. And it's like, do I want to like fundamentally change what I am getting out of this thing that I like because this is like a way that I am able to make money Mm -hmm. in a very like public and direct kind of sense of it's not only like the money element, it's also like this thing that is where I chill out and listen to a podcast has now been transformed into something performative. And Mm -hmm. then do I even like doing this? Right. I see that with a lot of streamers who get like really big playing certain video games where... They are playing it all day, every day. And after years, you can tell that they're just like so fucking sick of this shit. But if they change games, they'll lose most of their audience. Does Ninja like playing Fortnite now? I doubt it. Maybe. Maybe he does. I kind of doubt it at this point. Yes, just strategically pick which thing you enjoy that you're going to ruin for financial and social gains. Or make it a thing to be constantly switching. Which is more like what I have done, at least musically. We do this, you know, multi-genre kind of thing. NSP can do whatever kind of song we feel like writing. I mean, it was a semi-conscious choice, 
But I'm so glad we did it that way rather than the, hey, we do synth pop, that's it, which would have been an easy choice to make early on, but way less fun, especially mm-hmm. when you get, you know, whatever, we're like, I think 12 albums, 10 albums deep, 11, something like that. Christ. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. We're in the middle of year 14, 13. The band wow. is 13 years old. I don't think Danny agreed to this, but I really wanted to have a bar mitzvah for the band this year. <laughs> Did I tell you about this, Layton? No, but you should have done it. The band is 13 years old and now has become a manned. And, <laughs> you know, we could sing the Haftorah. And that was such a bad joke. Thank oh you. my God. Thank you. I, it's not the first time I've said it, as you probably guessed. But I would love to have a bar mitzvah for NSP. And I think it could be really, really fun. Anyway. The point is that we can do whatever we want with that band. And if we were, you know, whatever it is, 11 synth pop albums deep, I have a feeling our enthusiasm would be waning quite a bit at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I support people who are making the thing that they want to make and being able to make money making the thing that they want to make or making the thing that they don't super want to make by making more money. Like, you know? That's right. It feels like it should be a trade-off, right? I would like for everyone to be able to pay rent and take care of themselves health-wise and just be able to live. So also, if that means that you have like a shitty job that has nothing to do with the thing that you're passionate about so you can support yourself doing the thing you're passionate about, like that is also perfectly valid. Totally. That preserves a lot of the energy that you have for that thing when it's not like my income is dependent on my level of skill and thus I must be harshly critical of myself to sustain this because if I stagnate, then like, whoops, there goes the money. Yep. I'm sure I've talked about this example on the show, but it's my favorite thing to bring up when this comes up, which is Charles Ives, the composer who sold insurance for literally his entire life just so he could write the weirdest fucking music possible. I think he he died in, I think it's 54. So he was very active around like the turn of the century and up until like, I think the teens, I think he had like a heart attack and kind of stopped really working on music, but he was writing stuff in the late 19th century. That was like light years harmonically ahead of its time. And he could do it because he had a job. And if Charles Ives had not been selling insurance and making money doing that, we would have been deprived of what is some of my favorite music of all time because he wouldn't have had the financial freedom to do whatever the fuck he wanted. So I think there's a sense in which many times having a quote unquote backup or real job or whatever the fuck it is you want to call it lets you be as free as you possibly want. And then you can take really wild chances. So sometimes it inversely correlates, you know. This all kind of like loosely is surrounding this thing that I've been thinking about a lot. I'm moving back to Oklahoma. Oh, you are? I am. And it looks like it might even be sooner than I expected. But it just my general experience over the last like year or so, it's made me think a lot about it's just where the music industry is at. Because, you know, Los Angeles being what it is, everybody talks about how it is a music hub. And it is. Like, that's undeniable. But... The same way as I was talking about Oklahoma City, there's all these things happening here that you wouldn't expect. And I think that's because like destination and location isn't really as relevant as it used to be because Mm -hmm. of the internet and because of social media and stuff. And I've come out here and I've gotten great opportunities. I got to meet you, which is fantastic. I've gotten to do some work with other people and creators and I'm lucky enough to be in this space and creating stuff. 
But, you know, it's like Leighton said, like you get to the point sometimes where you ask yourself, like, do I even want to be doing this? And it's not that I don't enjoy what I'm doing now, but I see so many people in this thing where I think they get so far along in, I guess you can call it the rat race, trying to get to this point of comfort that you are no longer even doing the thing that you came to do. Sure. And so that's why, like, back in Oklahoma, people will not pair Oklahoma with, like, bleeding-edge music industry. But what it does allow you is, like, you're connected to the internet through all these other people, and all the scenes that are happening are all coming up almost equally across the country because of the internet. And so you've got the ability to actually sit back, slow things down a little bit, and really focus on, like, what is it that you want to do? And I think that's why you see all these people coming out of these smaller towns is because in the big towns, you don't have the privilege of taking a breath and not doing the thing that makes the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with high cost of living, L.A. is especially just ruthless on that front. And it's interesting seeing people here that were born here that feel the same way. <laughs> like, it's just crazy. Oh, yeah. I think almost everybody who lives here, unless you're making like a million dollars a year or something crazy, you're like, man, I'm fucking stupid. I should be living somewhere else. <laughs> you know, I think all the time, like we could, for a down payment on a house in LA, buy a really nice fucking place in Minnesota yeah. where my wife is from. And like, why don't we do that? And the answer is because right now it still makes sense for us to be out here. But at some point, it probably will not. And then what do you what do you do? And maybe that not makes sense as a financial thing. Maybe it's because there's crippling drought, or you know, there's environmental stuff that is a concern. Uh, but like, <laughs> every almost everyone I know who lives here, the one exception being Brent Lilly, thinks about leaving from time to time. Yeah, Johnny, as a '97 baby myself, I think we're we're in a fun little boat where it's just <laughs> like. Well, (laughs) I'll milk what I have (laughs) until it's done, which will probably be sooner rather than later. Um, And just take every day as it comes and continue to attempt to survive. You're forgetting about the vibe shift that's coming. The vibe shift? Yeah, there's going to be a great vibe shift that's coming soon. There have been articles about the vibe shift that's already happened. What the fuck does that mean? (laughs) Is what they're describing fascism? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not picking up on your vibe. (laughs) Yeah, there was an article about like a massive vibe shift has happened. And it was one of those like dumb think pieces that you read and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? And why why would anyone care about this? Speaking of what the fuck is going on here and why would anyone care about this? You didn't even elaborate on what vibe (laughs) shift means. I'm not going to. It's time for segments. So uh, (laughs) what? What do you want me to say about vibe shifts? It's just, you know... It's when you take a mallet instrument and roll it a couple feet to the left. I'm guessing vibe shift is just like an uneducated way of saying like, hey, I think things are kind of not good right now. Yes, I think pretty much. Things are about to get worse, sort of like how when animals know when something bad's about to happen and they wild out, that's the vibe shift. Yes. (laughs) You can smell that it's about to rain and everyone's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vibe shift. Vibe shift. Which, by the way, people on the coast on both sides do not believe me when I say two things. You can smell the fucking rain when it's coming, and the sky turns green when there's tornadoes. Fuck you. 
It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> if you're from Oklahoma, I believe you when it comes to tornadoes. I don't know jack shit about tornadoes. It happens. Yeah. It turns green sometimes. Why? Okay, it has something to do with like literal the charge of the air and refraction of light. And okay. it literally like thunderstorms will come in and turn things green. I'm talking mm. green. Like Wow. It's like creepy. Olive green? Like grass green kind of. Do you know about the green flash when the sun is setting? Do you know about this? No. Okay. Yeah. So it's a coastal thing, and you can see it usually better on the Pacific coast because of the elevation. You can see the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> can you really? That's like a major plot point in one of totally those movies. Totally forgot about it. So if you're looking out into the ocean, just as the sun is setting below the horizon for like a few seconds, a little thing of it's not like bam but it's just like green well now i feel like i need to go check that out while i'm here it's one of those things where you can be looking for it for a while and never seen it i've only seen it once or twice one time was up in portland when we were shooting an nsp music video but it's awesome you know the atmospheric conditions and the angle you're at etc 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 have to be just right and then the light that's coming from the sun over the horizon towards your eye, briefly band of green. And I wonder if that's the same type of thing. Supposedly, the color is from the water droplets suspended in the storm, absorbing red sunlight and radiating green frequencies. There it is. Okay, sure. But yeah, I believe that. It seems that it's like not exclusive to tornadoes, but also having grown up in North Carolina, big old hurricane state, like it does get that mm. greenish Look. In New Jersey, we get that too, but it's all the toxic waste that's emanating out of the ground and suffusing the air. Thank you. Right. Thank you for not right. laughing at that lady. I appreciate your facial expression. Okay, all right, Brian, it's time for our first segment. Yeah. Yes, thank you. No, I don't need your permission, but I do appreciate it. It's time for our first segment, which is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is where, Johnny, you get the chance to recommend a book, a movie, a video game, anything that you've been enjoying recently when it comes to pop culture. Now, we do have a theme song for this segment, which, as I tell our guests every week, we put in in post, so you're not going to hear it right now, but you can listen to the episode to hear it. If you were going to hear it, what would you think of it, though? I'm curious about that. Like, what would it be? What would you imagine your opinion of it would be if you hypothetically heard it? Oh, it sounds pretty good. Great. <laughs> the segment's called What's Poppin' and the theme song goes here. What's Poppin'? What's Poppin'? All right, Leighton, what's Poppin'? You know, I really thought you were going to drag that out a lot longer. So I've never, no, 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 no. So I was, no, no, just a second, just a second. I was trying to finalize my weed order because I was going to get some weed delivery, but the, like I, we were recording and I didn't want to, I thought it would be rude if I left in the middle of the episode to go meet the weed guy to get my weed. But I think it's rude that you're in no, no, it's rude to accuse your co-host of dragging something out when I have never, and this is this is documented. I've never dragged. Right, you've never out you, you've never done that. You would never do that. I'm okay. Yes, no, debit. Uh huh. That's right. In, now, in, in, at three p.m., I, I might. I, that's a fine delivery. I might, you know, for me, I just plan just on being be stoned as fuck during this Fourth of I July might, weekend. As fuck this country. I might fuck do. It's not July. dragging it out. I can't. I can't. I can't take of everybody around. I can't take this. this I've heard is what it say those like exact words so many times. <laughs> and uh, place so order. What, what I might do Place-order. occasionally 
is to create an atmosphere for enhanced experiences. But I wouldn't call that dragging it out. I would call that making it better. Okay. John, Um, what's what's pop? Excuse you. That was (laughs) you're the one who was dragging it out there. That was like the equivalent, Arlie, of being on a roller coaster that's gone on like just a little too long. Like you know when your shit's getting rocked, you're just like, God damn it, where's the fuck? Mm-hmm. On, on a wooden roller coaster where it's yes. like you have a migraine now. Precisely. Yep. I hadn't thought about the fact that I have <laughs> mental issues until you guys did that. And I was like, this is actually <laughs> grading at the brainstem. Like I can't do this. <laughs> and that's called podcasting, baby. That's the highest possible compliment. That's going to go on our Apple podcast. There's like shell reviews. shock yes. in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. What's popping? Okay. <laughs> I actually just finished this today, finally. And I brought it because I love it. It's a really cool book. And it's kind of also ties into what we've already been talking about. It's called Sonic Broom by Peter Carlin. And it's about the history and rise of Warner Brothers records. Oh, wow. Cool. And so going all the way through the 50s uh, with Mo Osteen and Joe Smith and reprise records with Sinatra and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And kind of just talking about how all of that stuff happened and then going into the 80s and 90s with Madonna and Prince and just the general like shift, the vibe shift in the music mm-hmm. industry. <laughs> That's um, what I'm talking about. Which actually, an interesting part about it, which this is something that I think has completely taken over music, is something that happens in this book, well, just in history, is you see these people who are, let's say they're at the top of accounting firms or some financial industry or business. They are these high up CFOs, CEOs, people that say, hey, music looks like it's making money. I'd like to get into that. And so they are these like lateral transitions uh-huh. into the music industry where they like skip the line where they learn what any of this actually means yep. and they throw money at shit and destroy the entire music industry. <laughs> AKA private equity. Yeah, yeah baby. <laughs> the purchase of music. Did you ever read, God, it's an article or something like that. It's basically about the private equity takeover of Guitar Center. And Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting article about how, you know, some mega corporation or whatever, some financial firm came in, bought it, fucked it up beyond belief. Mm -hmm. And that's why it totally, totally sucks uh, now. Yeah. It's not the cool hangout it once was. (laughs) And actually, fun story. There's a friend of mine. He was older than I was by probably a decade. It was when I first started recording. I had recorded his band. But he got spirited away to California by Guitar Center headquarters, and he was actually one of the few people responsible for the... The Fender-branded fedoras they keep in the drum section. <laughs> no, he's he's the one who designed what every Guitar Center will look like. Oh, really? Oh, that's fun. Do you remember when all of a sudden every single Guitar Center was under construction? Yes. And like, boop, of course. that's it. And now they all look the same. Yes. That was part of that. I think that was in like 2012, 2013. Surely... Surely we can agree that the best part of Guitar Center is the DJ equipment room. Yeah. Which is where everybody cool wants to go hang out. So you can get your spinning lights and your turntables. and Well, it's, it's the one type of thing I don't know how to use. So the magic is still there for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just poke it. I remember when we started this show, it would have been like mid-March 2020 when I went to go get the Scarlet Focus right, right piece right. of shit that I'm recording this on right now and went to pick it up at Guitar Center and for some reason it took like two hours and it was spooky because it was mid-March 2020 mm-hmm. and I had to sit and wait in that that little DJ room and just a bunch of cool cats 
waiting on their Scarlet Focus rights, which, uh-huh. uh, what a piece of shit object. <laughs> <laughs> this thing fucking sucks, Brian. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have one. Now, Focusrite makes some pretty good stuff. There's an interesting history about that, actually. Rupert Neve created the brand Focusrite, and their higher-up stuff, like the 182i, I think is what it's called, or whatever the fuck that is, is actually pretty good. But yeah, the Scarlet sucks ass. Yep. <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know Focusrite was a Neve thing. That's Let me double-check myself before I totally put that on a podcast where everyone can tell me I'm full of shit. So, for those of you who don't know, Neve was an audio engineer who created consoles that are Neves are like famously awesome. Hmm. And some of the best ones out there right now are these, are still extant uh, Neve consoles. They've always been, actually, that's one thing that I'll say I'm really happy about being able to come to California. I have had the fortune of working on like three different Neve consoles, which I don't know how to explain to people that aren't nerds about engineering just how amazing a Neve is. Like, Let's say Neve is the fucking Millennium Falcon. That shit's fast. It's great. It feels like magic, honestly. There's just something about how the thing is put together and the way it works, which is unbelievably complicated, that makes the sounds you get out of it incredible. I think the general idea to get like nerdy just for a moment is it all comes down to realizing that any sound recorded at all is nothing but electricity. And really any sound ever is just electricity if you want to get into like, you know, physiology or whatever, which I don't. But like if you're recording a sound and it goes into the digital domain, it's electricity moving through cables and that's all it is. And so you have to consider these consoles Rupert Neve was just a genius level electrical engineer. And so the idea is basically if you can create a machine where the sound going in has the least amount of resistance getting to the tape or to the domain, you get this super open, big, fat sound. And he did it in such a way that it actually has this nice like color added to it from the transformers that he used. And it's this thing of like realizing that like the guts of this are just like genius level electrical engineering. It's cool stuff. I geek out hard over it. For those of people who don't know, to jump on that a little bit and just correct one thing, sound is not electricity until it gets recorded or played, right? So sound is a pressure wave initially, right? But once you take that pressure wave and convert it to, you know, put it through a mic or put it through a speaker, the whole point is you convert it to electrical signals that then takes the pressure that's hitting, you know, whatever membrane you're using and converts it into electricity. So sound, I wouldn't say is electricity until it starts interacting with the appropriate thing. Nice PhD, Brian. I suppose I meant in the way that it becomes technically everything that we sense is... Oh, I see. You're talking about the signals from your ears. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there are nerve signals that are being transmitted from your eardrum in much the same way. Which is a really stupid, not actually smart thing to say when it <laughs> sounds real. No, no. You're right. Your eardrum is converting those pressure waves into nerve signals as well, for sure. I like talking to you about anything. Because like when it's anything that's not music, first of all, I don't know shit. But when it's music especially, I can be like, hey, have you heard of this really, really obscure thing that no one likes? And you'll be like, yes, I love love it. Here's something you don't know about at all. And there's zero chance you do, but you also will like it. <laughs> like most people can't clap back with an even more obscure thing. Hell yeah. Like literally I say, have you heard of that one guy? And you're like, well, check this out. This dude put 43 notes in an octave. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, you have really just pinpointed like one of the greatest joys of doing this podcast with Brian with just, not only do you know what I'm talking about, you know way more than me about this. <laughs> So now here's something you 
definitely won't like. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing you hate, and I'm going to antagonize you about it. Yeah, that's right. I feel like even if it was something that you hated, you'd be like, isn't this terrible? It's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, honestly, I really do feel that way about most things is I can think of relatively few things that I consume that I'm just indifferent about. So I can have an opinion one way or the other. I might not always publicly express that opinion because I don't want to get yelled at on the internet any more than I already do. But yes, I love things that are interesting, whether I like them or not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brian, to disclose, I was making fun of you last night. <laughs> Hell yeah. As I was doing a running bit with a friend of ours who will remain nameless talking about what this show looks like when we're doing it on ham radios after society has collapsed. <laughs> uh -huh. and I was like, oh, what's popping for me is I found this scrap of paper on the ground. It's burned at the edges. It's a page from some <laughs> book and we don't have the internet, so I can't figure out what book it is. But it's front and back. It's ripped up and it's wet, but it's pretty good. And then, you know, throwing to Brian, he was like, oh, what's popping for me is last night I heard the coolest little sound and I went outside and what was it but a rat in a dumpster running around. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Reminds me of 70s jazz. Just that is what's popping for me. So. Wow. Well, actually, you know what's popping for me this week? I'm just going to go here because what's popping for me is actually 70s jazz. It is. <laughs> God damn it. The Earl Klug album, Living Inside Your Love from 1976. And I'm not making that up. That was my pick that I already wrote down. I'm looking at my screen right now. That's insane. Johnny, do you know Earl Klug? Do you know this guy? I don't. He is primarily an acoustic guitarist. I didn't know about him at all until a week ago when I was hanging out with a couple of guys called Twerp in Toronto, Canada. And Commander Meowch was like, dude, you got to check out this album. So it is like primo 70s jazz funk where the lead is an acoustic guitar and it's just way out in front and it's amazing. So I didn't know Earl Klug. Last name is K-L-U-G-H. But you know the other people on this album, including, let's say, Steve Gadd, including Dave Grusin, you know, one of my smooth jazz heroes. Louis Johnson is on bass for a track. You know, Louis Johnson played bass on everything cool. Eddie Daniels, who's a Reeds player I really like. It's just a fantastic album, and the vibes are impeccable from start to finish. Just, I love hearing... That, you know, like very like classic 70s jazz funk, but just real acoustic guitar driven, which you don't get to hear that much. And what was the name of this album again? Living Inside Your Love from 1976. Although Spotify will tell you it's been released probably in like 2007 or something. So how cool is the album, album art? You know what? I've only seen it small. It's the red square. All right. Underwhelming. It's the red square. I expected a little bit more. Let me look at it big because it's From a title hard to tell. Like that. Living Inside Your Love, album by Earl Klug. Is there a favorite track? They're all really good. Actually, the opening track, Captain Caribe, however you pronounce that, which I think is a gruesome piece, is really good. It's got a very aggressive guiro going on in it. Yeah, album art is like not too great on this one, honestly. I feel like it could be jazzier. It could. The title is so evocative, you know? Yeah. I've never heard this instrumentation like this. It's nuts, right? Like, it's different. I've never heard an acoustic sit up front. I know. And it's so far out front. It's a wild sound that I've just been listening to this album nonstop for like a week. But it's a great vibe. You know, it's got like the electric piano going and then the, you know, kind of typical jazz funks type bass and then the acoustic way out front playing all the melodies. It's a loud weirdo too. Right. That's what I meant is it's really <laughs> way up there in the mix. Anyway, Layton. 
What's popping? What's popping for me is a YouTube channel run by two people who I would absolutely love to have on the show. But the YouTube channel is called Fundy Fridays. And it's run by two people, Jen and James, who are a couple and they cover Christian fundamentalists through history and especially Christian fundamentalist influencers in the present day. And the videos are really like smart and interesting. Creation Museum, I see. Yeah, yeah. And so Jen will do like her makeup and talk about stuff. And it is fascinating and horrifying. And, you know, having grown up in the South was a pretty religious uh, family. It hits just right for me. And I think Mm. that due to the way things are right now, it's much like my interest in the podcast knowledge fight. It's all like paying attention to why these people are the way that they are, the way that they recruit others and the rhetoric that they use is incredibly important. But they make it fun and accessible and they're super funny. And if I was going to give specific videos to check out, just in terms of like the shit's wild, the girl defined. If anybody's ever seen this still that's a YouTube video of two blonde women and it says how to do your makeup in a God-honoring way, that's girl defined. And also the, the one on Abby Shapiro. Who's Abby Shapiro? Take a wild guess as to who Abby Shapiro is. (laughs) Well, obviously she's some fundamentalist from this. Is it someone with a lot of children? Abby Shapiro is one Ben Shapiro's sister. Oh, okay. So she's not a Christian fundamentalist, but the rhetoric is incredibly similar. and And her online presence is... Cool. Cool as hell. Classic, one might say. Uh... (laughs) Anyway, that video starts with a very funny intro that's Ben Shapiro singing WAP, but that has been stuck in my head of Ben Shapiro Hmm. singing WAP, and it won't stop. So, (laughs) Also, did you know that Mara Wilson is cousins with Abby and Ben Shapiro? Like Matilda? Yeah. Really? They have publicly disavowed each other. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Anyway, that's what's popping for me. Funny Fridays. It's pretty great. Cool. Now, we do have another segment on the show, Leighton, which I'd like you to introduce this week. Thanks. Well, you're welcome. Our our final segment. (laughs) The the worst transition we have ever done in the history of this show. (laughs) The worst transition we've ever done in the history of this show so far. Well, thank you. No, I do do appreciate the correction. (laughs) I'm glad I could be here. (laughs) It's an honor. Our final segment is three parts gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. The name of the segment is Peaches and Lemons. And the theme song for that segment goes right here. Peaches and Lemons. Awesome. Amazing. That was the theme song for Peaches and Lemons. We're each going to start with one lemon, which is a thing that is a minor bummer, annoyance, you know, getting your headphone cord caught on a cabinet and it yanking out of your ears. That genre of problem, i.e. something small and not anything that's currently happening at this moment. (laughs) Yeah, I can go first. This is not the type of lemon I typically do, but it's more like a type of thing that bugs me than a specific thing. Sure, sure, sure. It is people not double-checking things. Like, I will just never understand the kind of thing where it's like, hey, we're going to do this. Or someone says, hey, I'm going to do that. 
This happens to me occasionally in various contexts. And I don't want to call out anybody specific here. If you think I'm talking about anyone specifically, you're wrong. So don't read too much into this. But you think a thing is done, and then you're like, hey, did you check uh, that thing? And they're like, oh, no, why would I? And you're like, oh, because it's the crucial thing that makes the difference if, you know, we're announcing a tour, for example, and the ticket links are working, you know, or whatever. And or whatever. Like, hey, did you did you click the links to make sure the links were working? That would be bad if that did happen. Wouldn't that be bad? <laughs> now that specific thing didn't happen when we recently announced an intersex party tour, but things in that general wheelhouse happened. And then I feel like a monster for being like, Well, did you double check it? And the answer is like, no, why would I? Why would I double check that? I'm coming in my bitter old age to divide the world into two types of people, which is people who double check things and people who do not. And I am increasingly growing impatient with people who do not. So that is my lemon for for this week. You know, Brian, I'm going to piggyback on your lemon because my lemon is an example of your lemon. Okay, great. (laughs) My neighbors in my complex are great. I really love them and their dog. And they throw nice little shindigs every once in a while. And everyone who they bring around is always like super interesting and very like outside the realm of, you know, creative and professional spaces that I'm in. So I always learn a lot. But I made a couple of friends and the friends, Brian, hold your tongue on this, were telling me about a chiropractor that they went to that was great. Hold your tongue. What could I possibly say about that? Anyway, so she was like, okay, I'll send you a link to the guy that I saw because he was awesome and not expensive. And so I gave her my phone and I was like, send a text to yourself or just like enter your number and I'll text you and say, hi, it's late. I think I see where this is going. And so, <laughs> and so she entered it and then I wrote the text that said, hello, it's Leighton please share your chiropractic secrets. And I sent that text. And then a couple of minutes later, she was like, I did not get it. And she checked the number and I had sent that text message to a random person. And so I had her re-enter the number so I could send it to her. So somewhere, someone out there did receive a (laughs) random text for a stranger with a weird name asking for their chiropractic secrets. This is exactly... (laughs) the kind of thing I'm talking about. Whereas if I entered that number, I would read it again and be like, yep, that's my number. I'm glad I double checked that. Yeah. And nothing makes me more insane than the stuff that is obvious to me not being obvious to other people. And not everything is, of course. And that is a big part of life is understanding what is obvious to you that is not obvious to other people. But there's some like baseline of things that I'm like, this is like, a nice normal thing to double check. Here's a tweet I've almost sent out. That whole—that's thr- okay, the what? funniest fucking pivot you could have gone okay. to after <laughs> ranting about how you're an no, old no, no, man no. who's but, incredibly but, but, particular. But, but here we go. Here's the tweet. Okay, let's say you are replaced by a pod person who looks exactly <laughs> like you. All right. What three words could they say such that anyone who knows you well would be like? No, that's not Layton or that's not John. Like something's (laughs) up with that. And my three words is it's probably fine. (laughs) Uh, Let's play ska. (laughs) (laughs) Layton. 
I'll go on record just saying I fucking hate ska, by the way. I can't stand it. <laughs> you are so valid. Should I censor my ska? Uh, <laughs> shit. The ska right pillow. This isn't here. Yeah. Let's go out. <laughs> that would be my favorite. Great. great. <laughs> yes, I love it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. If a late never comes up to you and is like, hey, want to go somewhere? <laughs> no. Let's go out. <laughs> You'll get murdered. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Let's play Scott. Let's go out. It's probably fine. That's exactly, this is this is the title of the episode, Layton. That's exactly where I was going with this. <laughs> is I was going to say, in that order, <laughs> let's go out. Let's play Ska. It's probably fine. <laughs> I take back the dunk that I was setting up. That's a great tweet. Thank you. I thought so, too. Anyway, so, Lemon. Yeah, Johnny. Lemon. Johnny. I've been thinking about this too. And okay, so I thought I knew what I was going to say because like, honestly, I've made such a practice out of letting small things slide off of me just because if you're not aware, by the way, I have like bipolar disorder and stuff. And so like, I've got to be oh. super on top of that. Sick. <laughs> so. I, I got my, my mood stabilizers, bro. I didn't know that. I'm also, also bipolar. So And so, yeah, I have to choose how I feel about things as carefully as I can. And so for that matter, like the only things that really bother me are like big things. But I'll say my lemon, it's a bittersweet thing. I already have to leave California, which isn't small at all. It's like a big thing. But yeah, it's not all bad. It's not all good. So that's my lemon. It just, it's a little, yeah, that makes it's a little bittersweet. I often feel like all the hard decisions worth making in life are. There have been a lot of pros and cons lists lately. <laughs> yes. My feeling on that, I may have talked about this on the show. This is actually something I believe very strongly is that anytime you have to make a scary decision and you're like kind of talking yourself out of it, you should always make the scary decision. And it's not always going to work, but generally speaking, those are the choices. If you're like equivocating about it, doing the thing that seems scary but not like a terrible idea is going to work out. Honestly, at this point, I feel like a professional scary decision maker. And I think that <laughs> is like one of the things that just sets me apart. Like whenever someone's asking like, how do you do this thing? It's like, it's exactly what you think it is. And it's going to be really hard <laughs> and yep. scary. So sorry. It's a scary thing. Particularly with bipolar too, at least for me, it's differentiating of like, is this idea actually good? <laughs> Or am I manic? <laughs> right. And yeah, I'm right. now convinced that actually it's good. That's a different level. Yes. Yeah. Because, boy, the decision making that I have done in my life, <laughs> being like, yep. no, I actually feel great. My brain's totally normal now. I'm not manic. What the fuck are you talking I about? definitely want to start a podcast with that guy. That seems <laughs> awesome. <laughs> People think the depressive episodes are all the dangerous ones, but that's not true. Like, when you get sad, it's tough and things are hard, but at least you know that you are. When you're manic, you're like, oh man, this is such a good idea. I'm not going to regret this at all. And then I'm like $1,500 down. I've pissed off like three good friends and I'm in like Nicaragua or something. Like I, <laughs> I make really strong choices. Yeah. It's that this feels great, but then there's like something that knows that's like no, it's not. No, it's not. You're about to crash so fucking hard, man. You enjoy it while you have it because you think it's great, but it's not great. You are not fine. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. I guess that's exactly what I mean with the lemon thing because it's both positives and negatives. I have to know like little minute changes in things. I can't let them alter my actual decisions because I. it's yeah. almost like 
having some kind of like baseline. It's like my little spinny top in Inception. I've got to have things that I can go to to know if I'm dreaming or not. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's an interesting wrinkle. Thank you for talking about that yeah, yeah. with me. It's no it's a very like specific thing that I guess not as many people can relate to. Totally. Also, everybody at home, if you've forgotten to take your mood stabilizers this morning, as I have, go ahead and do that if the time is appropriate for you. With a big glass of water. Don't forget the hydrate. With a big glass of water <laughs> so it doesn't like get all chalky and nasty. I could tell you guys the time I accidentally gave myself lithium poisoning. It's a great oh podcast story. <laughs> I think we have to hear that now. <laughs> if you're willing to share. If you're willing to share It's it. actually really simple. So I don't take medication anymore. Anyway, but when I first got diagnosed, they put me on straight up lithium bicarbonate and bupropion. They gave me a nice hefty 1200 milligram dose, which I thought was a little excessive. But it takes a couple months to kick in. So three or four months in, I'm just like, I don't like this because I can't make music. I can't do anything. Like, I just don't care about anything at all, which is not a good replacement for things. And so I stopped taking it. But then I got kind of sick and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going through withdrawal because I've heard at high doses that's a thing that can happen. So anyway, I... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I started taking it again, and it turned out, no, I did not have withdrawal. I had the flu. And so when I took the lithium, I couldn't keep water down because I was still puking a bunch, and I realized I had oh the God. flu. And so I had already taken the lithium, but I couldn't drink water. And I had to go to the hospital and get put on a drip because I was dying. <laughs> oh, my so, God. Oh. So it was the most uncomfortable I've ever felt in my life. They literally just put me on a Benadryl drip, and I passed out, and they, like, hydrated me a little bit. So, wow. Pretty fun stuff. God. Yeah. Lithium is no joke. I am a Lamictal plus a bunch of antidepressants person, but it took being misdiagnosed with like unipolar depression. And then I don't know what these other things that happen to you are. I didn't even know unipolar was a thing. I mean, it's just like the opposite of like, you just have basic depression, but a lot of times like it gets misdiagnosed. And so if you have depression and they put you on SSRIs specifically, it can trigger manic episodes. And so I had been going on straight Zoloft for a while and like having episodes and being like, why is this happening? And so now I also have to take a mood stabilizer. So got them. Fun stuff. That was the other problem is I didn't used to be too smart. And so when I was on bupropion, I never stopped drinking, which turns out you can't do that. So ah. lots of brain chemistry fun. Bad combo. Yeah, bad combo. If you ever want to have a really bad time, that's a good thing to do. Yeah. That goes for most antidepressants, especially if you have just changed a dosage, are on a new thing, have recently stopped taking a thing, whatever you think a drink will do to you, a single drink, it will not <laughs> do what you think it's going to do. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we can keep going forever, but yeah. it's time for peaches. So we will each do three peaches, which are things that are nice, fun, exciting, cool, big, small, whatever. So I can run through mine really quickly. Sure. My first one is that I went and got lunch with our good friend and previous podcast guest, Allie. Uh, oh, we got nice. some, uh -huh. some, some Kuro rotating sushi. And Great. she gave me a gift, which are 
replica cyberpunk 2077 johnny silverhand dog tags dude that's fucking sick <laughs> right they're tight they're really that's good great. looking so that's the greatest thing ever and ali i love you and i love eating just a disgusting amount of sushi and then like wandering into lush and smelling things which cora did you go to glendale galleria baby there's one in glendale now what it's in the galleria wow. I didn't know that. There are so many of those around LA now. It's right next to the Lush in there. And Lush is is also a dangerous (laughs) place for me to be. My second peach is that this like hasn't even happened yet, but I'm I'm thinking about buying a 3D printer and I think I'm going to do it. Buy a 3D printer. Do it. They're they're so cheap right now. They're not as expensive. Look, the scary decisions are the ones you have to make. (laughs) That's right, yeah. (laughs) Like, I have to put a lot of play in it. Like, I'm making a spreadsheet because of, like, it's mostly the ventilation, right? Because I forget what the acronym is, but, like, when you think of 3D printer, you're usually thinking of, like, the pen, you know, the draws. It has multiple plastic. There are resin 3D printers, which I think have better results for what the kinds of things I'm looking to do because it's like a metal plate and a vat of resin and then like an LCD screen on top of it. And so you chop your 3D model into layers and so it will cure with UV light the resin in the like cutout or whatever the LCD screen's showing. And so the plate pulls out ah. of the resin oh, like cool. slowly that's over so hours sick. and builds it out. That's awesome. Can I ask a question? Is it resin or rosin? I've always been told it's rosin. Rosin is a different thing. Like well, what you different. would put on a violin bow, that's rosin. That's different? The candy, rosin. Resin is resin. I thought mm-hmm. they were spelled the same. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Can I also ask a question? Yeah. What's the first thing that you're going to make if you get it? A smaller 3D printer. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> Well, okay, so the thing that is holding me back right now is that, like, with the resin printers, ventilation is an issue. This is a studio apartment. So the way that people deal with the ventilation with resin printers is they buy marijuana grow tents, set them up, and put the 3D printer in there. So what's going to happen is in a couple of weeks— You're not going to die if you get this, are you? No. (laughs) Okay, good. I don't want you to, like— Die? You know— Yes. That's very sweet of you. That's where I was going with this. Thank you. Yeah. No, I'm setting it up like that because I'm going to have a grow tent and then I'm going to install in this window like a little vent fan and have it vented to the outside and I'll get an air purifier and like all that shit. Good. Okay, great. But the first thing I'll make, probably some keycaps for my keyboard. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. But, you know, since I, I started doing 3D art this year, the idea of being able to just make something in Blender and then print it in two hours is like, I'll go mad with power. That's awesome. That sounds so fun. Yeah. We'll see. I just got to do my planning and make sure that, you know, with my already jacked up sinuses that I'm not further irritating them with resin particulates. Totally. And then my last peach is that the Dead by Daylight 6 anniversary event was like this past week. And after months and months and months of not playing the game, hop back on with our twerp boys, Survivor Squad. I saw you discussing it in the Discord, yes. So, so fun. The mid-chapter update is like a huge like balance and perk overhaul that like makes me genuinely interested in the game again because like the meta has just been so stale for years and years and years and they're nerfing all of like the strongest Survivor perks. So now you can actually, it's viable to use different perks and it's going to be a disaster and the gamers are salty about it. And I live on gamer salt and gamer tears, so... Can't wait. It'll be a shit show. I like when you 
type in that Discord, so everyone referring to a shared Discord that Layton and Twerp and other people I have. Because anytime you talk about Dead by Daylight, I understand maybe 20% of what you're talking about. I hate so, what you're about to read. <laughs> I'm going to read this right now. Okay, so this is Layton from 629.22. Okay, consider Metal of Man added to that combo so you can easily take three protection hits and then skip a fourth hit. Soul Guard for the people, Boon Circle of Healing slash Exhaustion perk, Metal of Man. Some evil toxic survivor shit. Another option is swapping that third perk for Blood Pact. Then other member of Duo uses Decisive to become the Obsession and rove around in an unstoppable duo. I would fucking hate to go against this. Also, also the messages that came before that were next time we play, I want to try a soul guard for the people combo with y'all. If we coordinate, it'll be nasty as fuck. And like yeah. with Boon Circle of Healing, so I can always use for the people, I can run in, pick up a dying survivor, and then tank a hit with soul guard. Oh, no, no, you said a dying serve. You yeah. abbreviated survivor SURV, which is amazing. Listen, I'm just saying, folks at home with off the record about to enter the meta. And everybody's going to be leveling their arena to get teachable off the record. I'm just saying that Soul Guard for the people is a viable meme build, and I'm going to try it. When I hear you talk like this, I hear Audrey in 10 years. <laughs> oh, God. Where she's just like, you know, she'll be 18. And she's just like going deep in some video game. And I'm like, honey, I love you, but I have no idea what you're saying right now. Yeah, I mean, that's my whole thing. The things that I enjoy the most, I just like to be in a zone where nobody knows what I'm talking about. Oh, same. Great. Yeah. I'll talk to my mom about things. I call my mom every day. I'm, I've become a, a mama's boy for sure. But anyway, I was talking to her last night and I was like, yeah, I'll just have to make sure I can go to Long Beach later because my links, I finally got the stuff I was ordering. And, you know, I got the AES converter and the ADAC converter. So now I can send that to the Cranborn 500 series chassis. And then all I need after that is a PCIe card for yeah. my computer. And then I can get 18 more. And then I realized while I was talking, I was just like, I, I need more stuff for my thing. And she's like, cool. <laughs> got it. Yeah. I don't I think it. she knows what I do for, for work. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't think she understands what recording engineering means. Nope. My parents never did. They came to, I don't even know how many physics talks, and they were just like, that's nice, dear. It's great. <laughs> Johnny, got any peaches? Yeah, I got peaches. <laughs> yeah, I think meeting Brian is one of my peaches as well, because oh, like, dude, thank you. I was aware of who you were, but like, only as, you know, an SP and stuff. And then after actually meeting you, I'm just like, you are one of the fucking coolest people I've ever met. Oh, man. Thank you. Mutual. We chatted for like two and a half hours when we first met. It's usually not so easy for me to talk to people, but it was like the easiest interaction I've ever had in my life. So, Holy shit. Dude, that was you. cool. No, dude, I feel the same way, man. I'm so glad we got to know each other. And it's been so fun hanging out, you know, in the times we've had. I'm bummed you're moving out of LA, but I hope that doesn't mean we get to, you know, not continue the stuff we've been doing. The internet exists. The internet which is exists. Great. And the thing about Oklahoma, this is what keeps informing my decisions too, is like it's so cheap that I can literally exist somewhere else for two or three months and it yeah. won't matter. That's like awesome. I can afford to live there. Like I'll yeah. just say this for the next six months after I get there, my rent is $250 a month. No, we have to go. How does that feel? Sorry, <laughs> this podcast is now over. Like, <laughs> no, that's insane, dude. It's gross. What the- Fuck. <laughs> I'll be buying plane tickets more expensive than my rent. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. My second beach, wow. Illimations. If you've, you've heard of that YouTube channel, Illimations. No, I haven't. She's a YouTuber. She's an animator. Um, she makes like story time type videos. How do you spell that? Is it I-L-L-Y? I-L-L-Y. Mations. Yeah. Illimations. Oh yeah. I've seen this stuff. Yes. Yeah. So she contacted me shortly after I got to LA 
And she said she wanted to make an EP. She had these songs. And so we went to a studio. I really got to dig in on it. I arranged all the music. I brought my drummer, Ethan, out to California, and we recorded this whole thing. That's great. I finished the mixes, and we just got the masters back yesterday, and it sounds awesome. And I'm really That's excited rad. for it to come out. So it's a huge peach. I love it. Yeah, I'm excited for that. And my last one is maybe the biggest one. Oh. And I'll say this, if nothing else had happened from me coming to California, like if I had literally just completely ate shit and this was the only thing, it would have been worth it. So there was a studio in Northern California in Katati called Prairie Sun. And Prairie Sun, their discography goes on and on and on, but they're most famous for the Dewey Brothers recordings as well as Tom Waits, Mule Variations, and Bone Machine. Tons of great records have come out of there. The movie with Tom Waits, Coffee and Cigarettes, was filmed wow. in the fucking tracking room. It's a Jim Jarmusch, baby. Yes. So I was in that room that they faked to look like a diner. But like, I had the great fortune of meeting this engineer in Oklahoma before I moved named Wes Sharon, who worked on John Fulbright's record and the Turnpike Troubadours and throughout the late 90s and early 2000s, cut his teeth at Prairie Sun when he lived in California. And he lives in Norman, Oklahoma now. I became friends with him and I flew him out to engineer my new EP. And I got to record there and a month later they shut down. They are no longer around. They don't exist. From like the late 70s to now, gone. And so I got to record in probably one of the most beautiful studios as far as vibe goes and just like character and grit and everything. Like I'd never heard a studio to just put its stamp on anything so much. And yeah, I was one of the last people to record there That's ever. So great. That's incredible. For people who haven't been in a recording studio, it is true. Some spaces are just kind of magic. And it is this combination of the technical side of it which includes everything from the console to the layout and, you know, a million other things to just a vibe that comes from like how it's decorated and shit. And some spaces really are just these mystical, magical spaces that just have the right vibe for certain things. Just to give a little more of an idea of what this place is, Katati, California is in wine country. It's 45 minutes north of San Francisco. Everything is just vineyards and sun. It's amazing. It's like the Garden of Eden out there. And this is right off of a chicken farm, uh, basically. It's in a giant barn. That's where they built this studio. So and great. so what you're seeing is a retrofitted barn. The weights room is just a big concrete room, like with metal pipes and stuff. It's not trashy, but it's old. It's a fucking barn. And it just so happens to have one of the best sounding live rooms ever. That's so great, dude. I'm glad you got to experience that. Huge geek out moment for me, along with an engineer who started his career there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. All right. Amazing. Brian, peaches. Yes. Peach number one is, if you're watching this video, unless I talked about this before, and then in which case you'll know, but I don't think I did while we were recording, I am standing right now. I converted my standing desk to standing mode because I got tired of sitting so long every day. I used to use a standing desk all the time when I was an academic. And then I bought this thing and just didn't do it for no good reason. And now I am standing again and I love it. Love standing. It's one of my favorite positions to be in as a human. <laughs> and I'm glad to be standing more. Question. <laughs> yes, please. Do you yes. have like a floor mat? Nope. To cushion. Okay. The floor is carpeted. Do you feel a difference like posture or like back wise when you're standing? 
no, I, you know, I've been standing pretty much for the whole week and it's fine. It's nice because I get to like shift around like that. Look, I'm really limber and I can like mm. really agile. I'm really fast and really quick. I can kind of get around really fast. If anybody should sneak in like an assailant situation. Oh, dude, I, I would just be on him. I don't have to get up and take him down. So I would just launch myself, right? There's a chair right here. I would launch myself over the chair and take him down yeah. with like a leap. You know, launching capabilities are much, much higher. Much higher, like substantially higher. I'd say at least 38% higher, possibly as high as 43. It's a highly defensible position, which is what everyone needs their workspace to be. Thank you. That's correct. Because me, (laughs) I've got gamer holes in my chair. Yes. If someone wanted to like come at me, this is a prime location I would just be... I'd be fucked. 100%. As I fear every day in the middle of the night as I sit at my computer, I'm like, someone could just creep up. I got headphones on. Hell yeah. The only reason I don't have a standing desk is because I've got two deadbolt locked doors right there. If I didn't have those, I'd look into it. Look, you guys get it. What can I say? Yeah, you get the under the desk mounted katana. Shotgun, the sawed off shotgun under the (laughs) desk so you can just reach for it. Peach number two is... And this is a big one. I had two Chicago-style hot dogs for lunch today, and (laughs) I love Chicago-style hot dogs, and I was very happy to eat them, and they were very good. And I will even say they were among the best I've had in Los Angeles, and I will not be revealing where I got them from. And then, okay, so final, final peach. Today marks the seven-year anniversary of when I moved to Los Angeles, and it was July 1st, 2015, and it's been an insane seven years. And, you know, when I moved out here, I had a year leave from my university because I wasn't sure the band would ever make enough money to be a career. And I was half expecting to just be out here and be like, ah, give that a shot and then turn back. And instead, you know, NSP started doing better and better and has become the thing it has. And I've gotten to start all sorts of other cool projects such as the stuff I'm doing with both of you and many, many other things. And it was one of those scary decisions that I could not be happier I made. And even if it had been an abject failure, which was certainly theoretically possible when I was starting out here, it still would have been better than the, oh man, I wish I'd done that. And now knowing what I would have missed and the people I would have missed had I not been here, I am grateful every day that we relocated to this horrible, horrible city. (laughs) But I do honestly love many things about LA. There's a lot of great stuff here, but the number one thing is the people like you guys. So those are my peaches. Oh, sweet. Well, 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 we've arrived at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. Johnny, what an absolute delight to have you on and get to meet you. This has been such a fun way to spend a couple of hours on a Friday. So good to meet you as well. Where can people find you online in your music and all that jazz? You can find me on any streaming service, Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards. I've also got a Patreon. If on the off chance that I become a diehard fan, you can see all kinds of cool behind the scenes stuff and sheet music and videos of me being an idiot at patreon.com slash Johnny Manchild Music. Yeah, and for those of you guys who aren't familiar with Johnny's music already, Johnny, you really are a stunningly talented guy and just a absolutely a consummate musician. So if you guys don't know Johnny's stuff, you gotta check it out because it really, really is great. Thank you. I don't practice at all. <laughs> no, neither do I. Honestly, like I feel like I should practice more, but I'm also like, ah, eh, fuck it. Yeah, I literally just went back to scales today. Yeah. Like I decided I must have missed something. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Neat. Well, folks at home, thank you once again for joining us. 
if you want a beanie that has the word come on it, which you do, <laughs> which you do, you it's can really go small. either to merch.latenight.com or comestuff.com. <laughs> That's right. Beanie's available now. Yeah. Try it out. <laughs> I'm scared to try it out. No, just, 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 just go to comestuff.com. This yeah, is it's not totally normal. a recurring bit we do at the end of the show to terrify guests. <laughs> just go to, I want to see you type it. I want to see what happens to your face. We've returned to our roots of just making the outro come. I'm opening an incognito window for this. Okay, great. That's <laughs> smart, a good idea. Smart, smart. Comestuff.com. For all of your come needs. It actually just straight up doesn't load. So there's that. Oh, wow. That's good news. Wait, did we That's happened to me before with this. <laughs> I'm really not trusting this anymore. (laughs) It loads for me. It works. And also we have some, I agree with you, but also shut up designs, stickers, shirts. We got peaches and lemons pin sets. There we go. (laughs) Uh, And we are going to bring the Stay Safe, Come Hard black metal tea back. Yes. Oh, in fact, I think for the episode that came out today, we said we did and then we didn't do it. And then we didn't do it. (laughs) So consummate professionals over here. By the time this one is out, they will be back. Okay. Listen, when you get shit printed, you have to get samples. Oh, it's so Have we gotten those shirt samples yet? Actually, no, we didn't get the samples. So it's not our fault. Great. Okay. Love it. (laughs) Just like it's important to us that the fit and the cut and the fabric of a shirt or a hat are like good and cool and sexy for you. They, they, They need to be toit and noise. Well, Hope your week's toy and noise, people at home. <laughs> I've never been more terrified by a single item as I am as like at Ninja Brian's mayo jar. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you very scared. much. It's my favorite. I was drinking red wine out of it on Friday. <laughs> you know, nothing eventful happened on Friday that would have caused me to drink 75% of a bottle of wine out of that mayo jar. Well, but I exclusively drink heavy cream out of it. No. And I'm lactose intolerant. All right, see ya. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Very good. Bye. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at leightonnight at gmail.com.